When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sports Network listeners, welcome to another episode of The Call Sheet. I'm your host, Kevin Smith, podcaster here at FFSN, contributor to the Steel Curtain Network, and head football coach of the Ocean City Red Raiders in Ocean City, New Jersey. Happy to be with you again for episode number 24 of our humble little show, and an opportunity now to talk about real NFL football as week three is in the books what a great week three it was, man. Upsets, routes, overtime games. That week had it all. We're going to talk about some of that. We're going to talk about quarterback play. We're going to talk about coaches. And in part two of our show, we're going to welcome back our man Pez, my buddy Bill Pezda, who's become a little bit of a regular here on the call sheet, making his picks, the his Pez's picks segment, which is has become pretty popular. I actually have friends of mine who've been texting me and and letting me know that they're starting to they're starting to put some money on some of these games that Pez is picking and and they should because he's off to a great start picking games putting some of the so-called experts to shame so we'll have Pez on the line here in part 2 but to begin as we often do we look at the number of the episode we talk about a player or players who wore that number and this is episode 24 and I'm going to do this quickly today. Rather than shout out to an individual player, I'm really going to shout out to a position group because number 24 has been the number of choice of some of the best cornerbacks in the history of the NFL. And I mean, here's 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 the the top names who have worn number 24 at the cornerback position: Willie Brown. Uh, there's there's just that great clip from Super Bowl 11. That slow motion clip of number 24, Willie Brown, picking off a pass in the Super Bowl against the Minnesota Vikings and running it back for a touchdown. And you hear the great John Facenda announcing in his really distinguished voice, uh, which just goes hand in hand with with some of the early NFL films work. I can still see that clip, that Willie Brown clip from from those uh, America's Game Super Bowl recaps. That's a great clip. But other other 24s, right? Champ Bailey, Charles Woodson, Ty Law, Revis Island, Darrell Revis. I mean, those are all Hall of Fame guys uh, and all wore the number 24 and all played the cornerback position at an elite level. Maybe my favorite, though, and this is my Pittsburgh Steeler homerism coming out, uh, but I just have such a great association with, with Ike Taylor, number 24 of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, it, who if Ike Taylor – had been able to catch the football, he might he might be up there with some of those guys. He was a great cover corner for the Steelers who didn't put up the big numbers because Ike just couldn't catch the ball. And, and it's a shame because he probably would have won a lot more accolades had he been able to do so. But the thing I remember the best about Ike Taylor is anytime he was introduced as they do on Sunday night football or Monday night football when they 
and they let the players come on and introduce themselves. And most of the players give you their college. Every once in a while, somebody will give you their high school or even their elementary school. But but pretty much every time they introduce Ike Taylor, he simply said, swagging. Ike Taylor, swagging. And <laughs> my son, Jake, who was probably six, seven years old uh, in the Ike Taylor prime years when the Steelers were, were winning a couple of Super Bowls back there in 2005, 2008, he liked, he liked that so much. He thought that that, that was so funny that uh, he adopted for, as his own nickname, the Swagmaster. He, he began to call himself Swagmaster, which was funny when he was like six and seven. But by the time he got to be like 16 and 17, I was like, all right, kid, you, you got to drop this because now you're just a dork, right? No 16-year-old can call themselves the Swagmaster and be cool. Uh, so thankfully, he, he dropped that eventually. But anyway, number 24, right? A, a number worn by some of the best cornerbacks in NFL history. And, and my quick tribute to them here on the call sheet. All right, let's talk about some of the week three games. And I'm not going to go through all the games. I really actually, this is a show that likes to focus on coaching. Thus the, thus the name, the call sheet, which alludes to uh, the, the play sheets used by coaches on the sidelines during games. And so we'll focus on, on two coaches right now who who kind of have their work cut out for them going forward because of some of the things that transpired on Sunday. And the first is Sean Payton. Everybody's talking about that Miami-Denver game, 70 to 20. The Dolphins put up 70 points. The Dolphins accumulated 722 total yards, 722 total yards. That's more than some teams accumulate in like two and a half games. And, Miami did it in one game, but I'm not here to talk about the Dolphins. I'm here to talk about Denver because to me, the more interesting story is how do the Broncos put themselves back together after that debacle? Not, you know, is Miami a juggernaut or, uh, you know, can the Dolphins be stopped? Is this the greatest offense in the last 10 years in the NFL? These are all the conversations that people are having this week. But I think we're going to find out a lot about the Dolphins this coming week when they play the Buffalo Bills that will be a much more telling contest. And we'll find out an awful lot about Miami then. But I'm really interested in finding out about Denver right now because they're off to a miserable 0-3 start. And the question now is like, what does Sean Payton do? What does Sean Payton, the head coach, do to try to reboot this thing and save this season? How does he, how does he salvage it from, from really falling off a cliff? And it's interesting because... As a coach, you look at failure in several different ways, right? Obviously, it's disappointing, but in many ways, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to do some of your best coaching. I, you know, I, I coached a high school program, and we've seen our ups and downs. When I took our, our program over, we were coming off of uh, eight straight years without making the playoffs, and the team had gone seven and 23 in the, in the three previous seasons prior to me taking over. And, and our first couple of years were bad. We were three and seven and then three and seven again, and then four and six. I mean, we were, we were bad for a couple of years, um, but we, you know, we slowly put it together and we, we eventually built a championship level program and, and we're really proud of that. But in, in all honesty, I think some of the best coaching that we did, and I say we, because it's a staff thing, man, any, anybody who, who uses I and me and my to talk about a football program, I think is selfish. It was a, it was a, a we thing. And I think we as a staff worked the hardest and did our best coaching when we were bad. 
Because when you're bad, you have to absolutely urge your players to give their best, to not quit, to not be selfish. You have to, you have to wring every last ounce of effort that you can get out of them to get them to compete, to build a resiliency to failure that carries over, that they can take forward with them. I mean, in NFL players, I know that there's a different calculus there because they're thinking about contracts and their career. Whereas with high school kids, I got them for four years and they're just thinking about, oh, well, you know, what's next year going to look like for us as a team? But if you want to be successful, you have to be able to coach through the hard times because the hard times are going to be almost inevitable. And how do you respond to adversity? You learn so much more uh, in, in your response to adversity than you do when things are going well. And I can just remember games, man, when we were playing teams and we're losing 35 nothing, and, and we're just coaching our butts off. Because all we're trying to do at that point is get our guys to compete, man. They're coming to the sideline and we're, and we're patting them on the helmet and we're clapping them up and we're loving them up. And we're like, next play, next play, next play. Go as hard as you can. Go as hard as you can. And if we win a play, we're, we're freaking celebrating it like, like we, we won the, the whole game. Uh, because you have to instill that confidence. You can't let people quit. And the challenge in front of Sean Payton now is not that his guys are going to quit. It's the NFL. And if you quit, you're quitting yourself out of a career. But the challenge in front of Sean Payton is, can they turn the season around? There's still enough time. It's only been three weeks. There's 14 more games to go. And what strategy does he use to get this team to bounce back and become competitive again? And so, you know, there's lots of different tactics you can use. I can remember our college team, my senior year in college. We thought we had a pretty good team. Then we had some injuries. Uh, and, and then we went up and we played Hofstra university, which is, I, I played at a division three school and Hofstra was a big one double a, and they were, they, you know, they were sending some guys to the pros. Wayne Corbett was on that team, the wide receiver for the jets. He was on that team when we played them and we got blasted they beat us 55 to nothing. And they just blasted us and we were demoralized and we were physically beat up. And I remember our coach took a really interesting approach. I think at that point, uh, we were like one, three and one was our record. We had, we had gotten off to a one Oh and one start. And then we lost three in a row. And his, his approach was he took all the stickers off our helmets, right? We had, you know, we had decals and things, uh, like most teams do. And he stripped it all, them all off. And so we were down to just these solid dark blue shells. And his, his theme was back to basics. Like we're going to get back to basics. We're going to go back to doing just the most basic things. And we're going to do it as well as we can. And, and so we stripped down and, and the team adapted this blue hot hats mantra. And we would, we would sort of chant blue hats, blue hats. And it was a great little rallying cry, man. We rallied and we won, I think, three games in a row. And we wound up competing for the conference championship. And, and he got us to sort of believe again in our program, you know, and, and maybe that stuff, that's a little more rah-rah that works with, with high school and college kids probably doesn't work with professionals. Uh, but it was effective. And, and if you're Sean Payton, you're not going to do that. You're going to do something a little bit more drastic. Like there may be some personnel changes, right? I mean, I think back to the Steelers last year, they, they decided to start Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback because they had drafted, they'd spent their first round draft pick on Kenny Pickett. They picked him in the first round and they didn't think he was ready yet. So the Steelers start with Mitchell Trubisky and after after three games, they're one and two, and the offense doesn't look particularly good. The one game they won was on pretty much the backs of their defense. And now they're halftime of week four against the Jets, and they're sputtering along. 
and Mike Tomlin inserts Kenny Pickett into the lineup. I mean, it was like a defibrillator trying to sort of shock the team back to life. Um, and, you know, I mean, there were mixed results there early on, but Pickett managed to rally. Uh, and the Steelers went seven and two down the stretch. And they're two and one this year. They're eight and three in, in Kenny Pickett's last 11 starts. And, and that may have been an effective move. I mean, what will Sean Payton take, an, take a similar tactic? Will he attempt to shake up the personnel? I mean, he could always fire a coach. That's another option on the table when you talk about shaking things up. Uh, obviously, defensive coordinator Vance Joseph is a likely candidate, having just given up 70 points and 700-plus yards. I don't think he'll do that. Vance Joseph's a veteran. I think that Sean Payton, who's more of an offensive-minded coach, needs a strong defensive mind in the house, and I think he'll, he'll give Vance Joseph an opportunity to recover. I think the more likely angle he'll take is one he learned from his mentor. Sean Payton is a Bill Parcells disciple, and Bill Parcells was all about player accountability. One of the things Bill Parcells was kind of famous for is he would call players out in the media. He would call them out in public, right? I mean, I, he would fam- I remember cornerback Elvis Patterson. He famously just referred to him as toast. He would call him toast because he's getting burned all the time. Uh, I remember when he was in New England, he would refer to Terry Glenn as she, uh, which, you know, in the, in the in the 90s, that was probably a little bit more acceptable than than by today's standards. But, uh, I mean, he was attempting to really sort of challenge Terry Glenn's manhood in a way. And, in, and he would do those things publicly because essentially he was saying, I'm going to like, I'm going to basically strip these players down, uh, you know, to the point where they have to respond. And, and if they don't respond, they won't be able to play for us. And I really think that that's the angle that Sean Payton is going to take. And I think he's already doing it to a degree with Russell Wilson. After the Dallas game, after the, or after the, the Miami game, the 70 to 20 debacle, Sean Payton not so subtly suggested that, you know, Russell Wilson was one of the problems that the offense was, was not going the way that it should. And that maybe the quarterback bore some of that responsibility. So it'd be really interesting to see if he goes that route, right? Does he choose to sort of scapegoat Russell Wilson and publicly challenge Russell Wilson to be better? So keep an eye on that, on what Sean Payton does in Denver in response to their shellacking against the Dolphins. Another quick, quick one, real quick. Everybody's been talking about Brandon Staley in Los Angeles and his decision to have the Chargers go for it from their own 24-yard line with a minute 51 remaining, up by four points against the Minnesota Vikings on fourth and one with Minnesota with no timeouts remaining. Fourth and one on your own 24, up four, a minute 51 remaining, and your opponent has no timeouts. And of course, the conventional wisdom says, punt the ball, punt the ball, right? In a, a normal punt nets you 40 yards. So now you're going to take them back to around their own 35-yard line. And Minnesota is going to have to go 65 yards with no timeouts left in about a minute and 40 seconds. And I mean, the Minnesota offense hadn't been particularly great. Obviously, Brandon Staley thought two things in that moment. One, Let's get, I think I can ice the game right here. And two, I don't know if I necessarily trust my defense. I don't, my problem is not so much with the decision to go for it. I, I would have punted. But but the, all the analytics say go for it. And I don't, you know, I can, I can justify that decision if, if he had put the game in the hands of his quarterback, Justin Herbert, who on the day, at the time when Brandon Staley ran that play, Justin Herbert was 40 for 47 for 405 yards and three touchdowns and no interceptions. 
40 for 44, 40 for 47, 405 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Instead of putting the ball in Justin Herbert's hand, he handed it up the middle to his running back, who to that point had carried the ball 10 times for 12 yards. So he gave it to a guy who had 12 yards on 10 carries, who not, not surprisingly got stuffed rather than allowing his quarterback, who was 40 for 47 for over 400 yards, to throw it. And that's where my issue comes in. The clock's going to stop either way, whether you make it or you don't. And come on, man, let, let ride with your QB. That's, that's my issue with Brandon Staley's call. All right. Speaking of quarterbacks, there were some massive performances on Sunday. Let's talk about the three obvious ones that were brilliant. Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, and Patrick Mahomes. Those three quarterbacks in their three wins. Herbert in, in L.A., Tua in Miami, Mahomes in Kansas City. Those three guys, collectively, ready? Here are their numbers for their performances on Sunday. The three of them combined to go 87 for 106. 87 for 106. That's 82%. For 986 yards, three uh, 10 touchdowns, sorry, and no interceptions. 87 for 106, 80, 82%, 986 yards, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean – Mind-boggling, right? It is a quarterback league. It is a game that is officiated in a way that allows the passing game to flourish. And my goodness, those three guys absolutely lit up their opponents. But those aren't the three quarterbacks I want to talk about right now as having kind of the most, I, I, I definitely won't say the most impressive, but really, really encouraging performances. Let's talk about right now three quarterbacks who had really good days on Sunday outside of the three I just mentioned. Let's start with C.J. Stroud in Houston. C.J. Stroud led the Texans to an upset win in Jacksonville in which he again did not throw an interception. C.J. Stroud has now set an NFL record by becoming the first quarterback in history to throw at least 110 passes, his first 110 passes, without an interception. No, no quarterback in history has thrown uh, out of the gate their first 110 passes without an interception until C.J. Stroud did it. And I really like the game that offense coordinator Bobby, Bobby Slava called for him. That, that game plan included a lot of bootlegs and rollouts to get him out of the pocket where, where Stroud was free of clutter and he could really see his receivers, had clean sight lines to his receivers. And then when he kept him in the pocket, he really formationed the passing game so that Houston could max protect. And that was smart, obviously, because it allowed him a clean pocket and he could go through his progressions. So, so Bobby Slog's doing a nice job bringing C.J. Stroud along. And C.J. Stroud's looked pretty good through three games. Uh, behind a Houston offensive line, in, interestingly, that is missing four of its five projected starters, which makes it all the more remarkable that Stroud has not been absolutely pummeled to this point. Another quarterback off to a surprisingly good start who played really well on Sunday was Josh Dobbs in Arizona, who also led an upset victory, maybe the biggest upset of the weekend when Arizona knocked off the previously unbeaten Dallas Cowboys. Josh Dobbs went 17 of 21 for 186 yards. Now Arizona ran the ball for over 200 yards. That was the key to victory. They really were able to, to pound the ball up front. Uh, and, and Dobbs's counterpart, Dak Prescott had a bad day. Dallas got inside the Arizona 10-yard line four times in the second half and came away with six total points, two field goals. That's awful, man. Four trips 
inside the 10, not just the red zone, inside the 10, and six total points. So obviously Prescott's got to be better than that. But Josh Dobbs, when they called on him to make plays, he made plays. 17 out of 21, that is also over 80% of a completion percentage. Uh, and, and it's remarkable that the Cardinals, they really should be 2-1. and one. They, they, they had that big lead last week against the Giants that they blew in the second half. Uh, that Josh Dobbs is playing so well for them, considering they didn't trade for him until game week. He was not a member of the Arizona Cardinals throughout any of the preseason, nor did he play in any of the preseason games. They traded for him the, you know, just before week one. And then they had to make a decision on whether or not he's going to be their starting quarterback. They cut the guy, Colt McCoy, who everybody thought was going to be the starter, just a few days before the opener, traded for Dobbs, plugged him into the lineup. And here's a guy, Josh Dobbs, uh, on his seventh different team, or at least his seventh transaction. He's been with a couple of teams more than once, uh, who, who looks like an NFL starter. So, man, hats off to Josh Dobbs in Arizona. And one more, real quick, before we go to break. Gardner Minshew. I love the stash, man. I love me some Gardner Minshew. Uh, he was the backup in Philadelphia last year. He was a, he was a starter in Jacksonville for a hot minute. And, and he's looked good, man, when he's had an opportunity to play. And now, with Anthony Richardson injured in Indianapolis, he got a chance to start on Sunday. And he, too, engineered a big upset when the Colts went into Baltimore and knocked off the Baltimore Ravens. And every time I, I turned on that game, I was flicking around through my, my Sunday ticket package. And every time I got a, I, I went on uh, that game, Gardner Minshew was running for his life. He looked like a high school JV quarterback playing behind, you know, the bad JV line. Uh, and, and you're just running around and improvising and trying to make stuff happen and not get killed. And it, and it was it was happening. He was making stuff happen. Right. Didn't look great. Style points don't matter, right? The old Mike Tomlin line, style points don't matter. But Gardner Minshew got it done, and he's a tough guy not to root for. He's a he's so likable. Maybe it's the maybe who knows? Maybe it's the stash in the hair. I don't know. But more so, I think it's the scrappiness, right? You know, you see a guy like that who's not the biggest nor the most talented guy in the league, uh, who was a late round draft pick, and and everywhere he's been, he's had to fight and claw for playing time opportunities, and then when he's got him. He's done a good job, man. I don't know if Gardner Minshew is the kind of guy who carries your team to a deep playoff run, but if you need him in a pinch like Indianapolis did, he can he can make good things happen, man. So, so hats off to those guys, Stroud, Dobbs, and Minshew, all three of whom engineered upsets and, and played some really good football, despite the fact that they were not expected to. Okay, so... We're gonna we're gonna wrap up our, our week three stuff, and now on this on the other side, we're gonna we're gonna look at week four, and we're gonna bring back my buddy Pez for a, a Pez's picks segment. We'll talk a little bit about the success he's having as he's off to a hot start picking games, and he's gonna give us some week four games that he really likes. So stick around in part two, and we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the call sheet, Kevin Smith with you. And in part two, as we promised, my man Pez, Bill Pez, the, the call houses, the call sheets in-house prognosticator, who's off to a fabulous start with his picks. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We tried to have Pez on last week, but some technical difficulties interrupted us. 
but he's back. Pez, what's going on, man? How are you? Thanks for having me back, Coach. We're off on a good start, 10-4-1 to start the season. We've got some big winners out there for this week. We're excited to go. So tell me something, 10-4-1, picking against the spread. I mean, that's real. That's really good. Last week, I picked the games straight up, no spread involved, and I only went 10-6. and six. I don't claim to be great at picking games, but it it's hard. So I'm going to let you brag a little bit here, man. Tell me how good how good's ten four and one through three weeks against the spread. Well, you know, coach, every gambler uh, hates to brag because it's supposed to be a uh, bad luck. But in the gambling world, we we do love bragging. Okay, at ten four and one, <laughs> we're feeling good about ourselves. We're feeling dialed in. I think this year's league, you have to kind of uh, look at trends and and look at momentum. And as you know, it's a quarterback league these days. The league has designed the rules to make it a throwing quarterback league and a lot of pick and plays and fed against the spreads going with quarterback play and what you expect to see out of the quarterback and how they've been looking, what kind of form they're coming in. Yeah. And, and you know, two weeks ago when you did your first round of picks for the week one games, you called Joe Burrow a fraud. And I was like, oh. I did. I said, this is going to go off the rails. But uh, so far, I don't. You know, I don't know if Joe Burrow is healthy, but but Joe Burrow has not looked great so far, and uh, so I'll be interested in in your quarterback analysis as we go forward. But let me ask you a question real quick. Before the show, you and I were talking about analytics, and you said you weren't a big fan. How how come? Can you explain? Well, of course, some of the numbers are going to help you out when you're making decisions, but when you see a guy like Staley going for it on fourth and one or fourth and a long, a long one, maybe on the 26 of his own side of the field with a minute and 50 left. I think it was against the Vikings. That guy deserves to be fired. There's no sensibility in that play. They had just stopped the Vikings, the series on maybe two before you punt that ball. You let the defense put up a stand. The, the, I think they were out of timeouts when he went for it and they should have lost that game. We should have been five and oak last week, coach, and I'm still angry about it. And I'm calling that coach a fraud. Fourth <laughs> and two, you can't go for it in the fourth quarter with a minute fifty left. I did see some chatter online that that even his home fans weren't too happy about him. When your quarterback throws for over, over four hundred yards and you have to go for it on fourth and two, something ain't right out there. Yeah, I you know the car the uh, Chargers they seem to find ways to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory at times and. That was certainly a risky move, and but the analytics people say that's that's the right move. That uh, that more often than not, that will benefit you. And yeah, I'm not a big analytics guy either. Some sometimes I think you have to call a game based upon your instinct and not what numbers say. But well, we uh, I hear I hear in the gambling world though, there's a lot of analytics guys in the gambling world. Well, well, there are, and you know, trends and numbers speak a lot about what's happening with teams, but. We have, we have gambling analytics, too, that are uh, official, unofficial scientific studies. One of them being that teams that play in California, the weather is so nice that they just don't play as hard. They got nothing to be upset about. They're living in paradise out there. We have, we, we're we seeing a coach go forward on fourth and two in the fourth quarter. He wants to get home and play some golf. I mean, something's going on with that guy with that decision. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, that must be Southern California because it, the weather's not as great in Northern California, and the 49ers are awesome right now. So, well, that's I did, true. But, but seriously, I mean, you've been to San Diego. It's 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 one of the or L, in the LA area. It's 
it's it is really beautiful. It's it's hard to be uh, it's hard to be angry about anything. You got to play football with a little bit of anger. It's tough to be uh, angry in in that beautiful uh, climate. Look how happy those teams are. They're playing happy. When you play for the Steelers, when you play for the Eagles, the Giants, you're miserable. You're angry. The media's all over you. You're not the biggest star when you're playing in L.A. You've got Brad Pitt. You've got the Kardashians. You got Leonardo DiCaprio. They're getting all the heat. The quarterbacks, they sit around, the coaches, they play golf. You know, and in fact, Coach, I think I'm going to make a new stand here. I don't know if I'm taking a, a Central or Southern L.A. team for the rest of the season. All right, don't hold me to that, but I'm going to try and do that for you. Okay, all right, I'm going to make a note of that. All right, let's talk about some of your picks, though, right? Last week, you got you four out of five. You you nailed uh, the Lions, the Pack, the Eagles, the Steelers, all solid picks. Like you said, 10-4-1 overall, which is against the spread, which is excellent. So so what do you got for us this week? I, I think you said you have four games. Uh, give us give us a game you really like coming out of the gate here. Well, in the gambling world and, and in sports in general, especially football, I, I like momentum. And I like quarterbacks that come in playing well and teams that are playing solid defense. That's something that I think gets forgotten about in this league, but you know better than I do. Defenses and running games still win championships. And we're going to stick with that philosophy. We're going to go again with the Lions this week, Thursday night, over the Packers. I think right now that the, the spread is a pick. Or actually, no, I think right now the Packers are getting one and a half. Um, anywhere from a pick to one and a half, two points, I think the Lions are a solid play this week. Hmm. It's interesting, man. That was, that was pretty wild, that Green Bay game last week. New Orleans is cruising along, and then Derek Carr gets knocked out, and it changes all the momentum, and Green Bay comes back and, and wins that thing. But you look at it on the other side, Detroit could easily be 3-0. and The baby Lions, man, they're growing up fast. So that'll, be, sure that'll be a great game. Yeah, that NFC well, North. They, they come in, three straight wins in the matchup. The Packers, though, Lions banged up. I think they're down two starters this week at least. And the Lions' defense has quietly been pretty strong. Uh, they're averaging, I think, 72 yards a game, uh, given up to the rush. Uh, Green Bay's allowing uh, close to 140 yards a game to the rush. So I'm going to go with the better line on a short week, a little bit more of a veteran quarterback. And, and I like Jordan Love, and he's played well, but their running game I don't think is enough to help him in a short week and against a, a solid team that's hot right now, the Lions. All right, good. I like that analysis. All right, give me another one. What do you got next? All right, we're going to go with a fun one. This is something I don't like to do in the gambling world, but I know gamblers love playing the 9.30 a.m. game, the, the uh, NFL Sunday, what I used to call the sucker play. You want to get out to a hot start. You want to go into 1 o'clock with free money. That's what it feels like when you win a 9.30 game. So we're going to go with it this week. We're going to go with the Jaguars, giving three, I believe, right now, over the Falcons playing in London. Um, I, I don't think the Falcons are a horrible team. I'm not too in love with the Jaguars, but we're going to go with Trevor Lawrence, uh, a little bit more of a quarterback, a little more seasoning than Desmond Ritter on the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Trevor Lawrence, also known as the kid from the Days and Confused movie, kind of looks like a European <laughs> soccer player. They're playing in Wembley. Wembley is like Yankee Stadium to soccer players around the world. I think a big game out of Trevor Lawrence, a.k.a. Days and Confused kid, playing in Wembley. I'm looking for him to have a, a big day, a big throwing day. And for the Jaguars defense to stop that running game in Atlanta, which I guess neutralizes that team. Yeah, that, that's Mitch. Mitch in, in Days to Confuse. You got the, 
got the snot beat out of him by Ben Affleck with the in those those paddling scenes. Felt bad. He for did. Him. His career didn't take off after that. I'm a little shocked. I mean, but hey, maybe it's Trevor Lawrence as he's grown up. He kind of looks like the guy. <laughs> he does. He does. Yeah, and the Jags have been in that game before, and they know the deal. They know they know what it takes to travel across the pond, as they say, and 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 get ready for for a game like that with a time change. So I think they actually played two Europe games last year. So so that's a solid the, play. The Jags are off stuffing the run early on. Their defense is quietly having another uh, a good year. And I think we're going to go with the what I think is the better quarterback going into the game. And we're going to hope that Trevor Lawrence kid can can light it up over there in Wembley. Okay, so we got, we got Detroit. We got the Jags. Who's next? Next up. This is a tough game. It was a tough week. I think I mentioned to you earlier in the week. These are the tough weeks. Week four, you've got teams that are desperate. You've got teams that, that have put some play down, but you question maybe opponents. That's what we're doing in this game. We're going to go against the public. We're going to take the Buffalo Bills over Miami. Buffalo laying two and a half, I think, right now. No disrespect to Miami, but Buffalo has come in with two solid wins putting up, I think it was uh, 37, 38 points in their last two games. Offense looks to be clicking like they ended the season, and the defense has probably been just as good or better. They're currently, I think, the number number two ranked D in the league. Having said that, I know Miami's D looks good on paper right now, but when you look at opponents and matchups that both teams have played in the beginning of the year, I think Buffalo's got some some better results against some better opponents, and Tua and Tyreek, amazing to watch. I think it's going to be a great game, but I think Buffalo is going to be pulling that one out at home. All right, now that that's a bold pick, man. I mean, the Dolphins are coming off seventy points and seven hundred and twenty-two yards. But you know, sometimes when you when you have an explosion like that, there's a big letdown. You see it in baseball sometimes. A team will score eighteen runs in a game, and then they come out the next day and they and they score one, you know, on three hits, something like that. And, and that'll be fascinating. I, if I'm the Bills, uh, I'm go, I'm a little fired up because the Buffaloes won that division three years in a row, and yet Miami's getting all the hype. So that'll be a fantastic game. I can't wait to watch that game. And just the, just the notion that you're picking Buffalo, despite the fact that everybody now is, is all over Miami riding that bandwagon. That's going to be great, and uh, and if you win that pick, man, all right, we're we're hitting that we're hitting that hard on Twitter. We're coming right to Twitter with that thing. Well, I think we should, and it's no disrespect to Tyreek and Tua, but Miami really hasn't played a high-powered offense yet. So, I, I think the better-tested team's Buffalo. For Miami, this is new. Like you said, when you put up seventy points one week, it's tough to do it the next week. I don't know if that's ever happened in league history. We may maybe we get the uh, first fan network, first fans network to. Uh, sports history department to check that out. I don't think 70 points has been followed by 70 points or more. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the sports history department and I'm going to say okay. the answer is no, but <laughs> well, we're going with that. Actually, man. Dave we're Schofield, the stat geek, Dave Schofield's the man. I'm going to, I'm going to kick that over to Dave and see what he says about it. All right. We got Detroit. We got the Jags. We got Buffalo. What's our fourth pick. Well, again, I'm not trying to be a homer with our Steelers crowd, but we're going to go with the Steelers over the Houston Texans this week. Uh, laying the three on the road, which I don't like to do. Uh, Steelers coming off two solid wins. They've been holding running backs to to games like last week. Jacobs only had 62 yards. Uh, C.J. Stroud, he's looked good. But I don't know about you. I think rookie quarterbacks are due for interceptions. He hasn't thrown one yet. Four games in, going up against Steelers D. 
I'm going to bet against a rookie quarterback that has yet to throw up an interception. Plus, they're throwing this guy like he's a, a starting pitcher in, in Major League Baseball. I think he's had over 45 throwing attempts in two of the three games this year. That's a lot for a rookie quarterback and, and not having thrown up a pick or turned the ball over. My, my feel, Steelers come out with this, two, maybe three turnovers, and we're back to Steelers football and playing hard-nosed defense and our boy Pickett throwing some – throwing some lightning out there like he has been the past week or two. I love it, man. I love you. You know, you're not, you're no dummy Pez, right? You're, you're not biting the hand that feeds you. And, and this is this fan, you know, listeners here on the call sheet need to know Pez is an Eagles fan. So he's not, a, he's not a fellow Steelers fan. He's not pandering to the crowd. Steelers have been good to you the last two weeks. You've won two weeks in a row with them. So trying to make it three in a row. Well, and like we talk about, I think the league right now is set up for, the best quarterback play and, and coaching is a big part of the league right now. And I th- obviously in Pitts- Pittsburgh, we've got a winning coach. Tomlin knows what he's doing. He didn't panic with Pickett having that awful first game and, and they rallied behind him. And, and that team seems to be back rolling again. And that's a wide open division. I'm not too sold on Baltimore. I, I think the Steelers, this is a big game for them. And for the Houston Texans, when you have a rookie quarterback, I think you're happy to have him out there and doing good things. I think the Steelers would be a little bit more focused and get that road win. Hmm. All right, man. All right, hey, before we let you go, uh, I mentioned you're a Birds fan. Eagles off to a 3-0 and start. Give me your thoughts on the Eagles, uh, their start to the season real quick. So I, I hear a lot of the chatter and the Jalen Hurts haters. Uh, I, I'm hearing some reports he was sick this week. The offense definitely does not have the the fluidity and, and isn't isn't clicking on all cylinders like it was last year. We have a new offensive coordinator, but it's tough to think about anything than that defensive line and what they've been doing in these games. This past week, that that's as good of a defensive line that I've seen since Jerome Brown and, and Reggie White were around. I mean, it was dominant and ball control, the offensive line. I don't know of a team right now with a better offensive and defensive line. I mean, we could have just run the ball every play, and we probably would have scored just as many points or more last night. So I'm on board with the Birds. Maybe a Birds-Steelers Super Bowl would be a fun one. <laughs> we, could, we could analyze that game, and we could make a lot of different picks. Uh, but the Birds are rolling. And I, I, giving up eight points against a, a Washington team that, that somehow seems to have some life in it after all these years of being total losers, that's a little bit of a scary play for me. I'm just going to cheer for my birds and, and, and take the pressure off them and not have them as one of our picks again this week. All right, man. Smart. I think half of that, half of that equation in the Super Bowl is, is possible, if not likely. The other half, uh, as a, hey, not trying to let any, any Steelers fans down, but they know, they know this is not, this team's a year away from, I think, being a legitimate contender. Uh, but we're going to yeah. have fun watching. It's a tough AFC right now. You've got Buffalo, you've got KC. Steelers aren't too far behind them, though, Coach. I'm I'm a believer with them. We're gonna ride the we're gonna ride the Steelers train until it lets us down. Yeah, smart move. All right, ladies and gentlemen, right? That's that's Pez. Those are Pez's picks for the week. Again, to recap, he likes Detroit, Jacksonville, Buffalo, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's off to a 10-4 and one start, putting the so-called experts to shame. And we'll uh, we'll we'll check back soon. And see how he's doing. Pez, always a pleasure, man. Appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks, Coach. We got a little bonus play. Uh, I know for the gambling junkies, the Ryder Cup is a huge gambling weekend. 
I, I, I'm not trying to be unpatriotic here, but I'm sensing a little trouble in the locker room. Brooks Kepka, not pictured in the team photo coming off the plane today. Uh, I'm hearing reports he had his own plane. Whatever it was, that's, that's not good camaraderie running into that Ryder Cup going to Italy to play those Europeans who are playing some damn good golf. I think Sunday would be a fun day to be a gambler and betting those one-on-one matchups. I think it'll be an exciting fight to the finish on Sunday. Probably ending around kickoff time, around 1 o'clock our time here. So buckle up and get those plays in, man. <laughs> All right, Jeff Hartman, you hear that? Our, our resident golfer, Jeff Hartman, the editor here at, at Fans First. Big golf fan. Uh, I'll make sure that he, he gets the word uh, that Pez is, is uh, kind of liking the Europeans right now in the Ryder Cup. So. Uh, I'm All right, a little so- worried. Yep, go ahead. You're a little worried? A little, little worried when one of the top guys doesn't ride the team bus. That's never a good sign in sports. Yeah, I, I know, man. Right, The prima donna treatment usually goes goes poorly, right? And maybe he'll blow his Achilles like Aaron Rodgers. You never know. I mean, he, he could. He definitely could, Brooks. <laughs> All right, man. That's another Pez's Picks, and that's another call sheet. So, hope everybody has a great week. And, and check back next week when we weigh in on the latest week uh, in the greatest sport known to man. Take care, everybody. Have a great one.